Ah, good. Do come in and sit down, Richard, will you? Was all that nonsense out there really necessary? Identity passes? Guards? I was even searched. Security. Rather amusing, don't you think? Uh, No, you don't. I have an important research programme going ahead in Yorkshire. Yes, I know. An expert in rhubarb, degrees in scones, brass bands and a dozen other subjects. Just the sort of all-rounder I've been looking for. How I feel doesn't matter. We need your help, Richard. I'm just not interested in podcasts. Really? Showing off, seeking fame, that sort of thing. We're not exactly famous here at Something Who. The podcast is a front for our real work. Then what do you do exactly? Uh, We discuss the odd, the unexplained. Anything on Doctor Who or even beyond. Alien invasions? Bases under siege? Ten tonnes of Twitter posts drift through cyberspace and land on our screens every day. And do no harm to anyone. Uh, Early this morning, a shower of about 50 tweets landed simultaneously on every mobile device in Essex. Landed? Most tweets don't even reach the screen. They usually burn up in the Twitter sphere. These didn't. These particular tweets came down through a funnel of thin, superheated rage about 20 bots in diameter for which no one has an explanation. There must be an explanation. A a natural one. I hope so. We didn't find one last time. Last time? Six months ago, a smaller shower of tweets, uh, about five or six, landed on the same screens. No, no, that's impossible. The odds against two batches of tweets landing in exactly the same place must be incredible. They are, Richard. They are. Figures from the Institute of Missing Episodes Singapore. Do you realise that in our section of the internet there are over 500 forums capable of supporting trolls? Why are we any more likely to be attacked now than during the last 50,000 years? In the last decade, we've been probing deeper and deeper into cyberspace. We're unable to keep any attention on what's happening around us, Richard. Aren't you being a bit alarmist? Since Something Who was formed, there have been two attempts to take over Doctor Who fandom. Really? We were lucky enough to be able to stop them. There was a policy decision not to inform the public. Do you seriously expect me to believe that? It's not my habit to tell lies, Richard. I'm sorry, but it is a fantastic story. We were very lucky on both occasions. We had help from a man with experience of other podcasts. Really? Who was this genius? Well, it's it's all rather difficult to explain. We used to call him Simon. So hello and welcome to Something Who, episode two. So uh, thanks to everyone who's come back a second time. Uh, It's kind of slightly surprising, but it's great to have you with us. And here on the podcast, we have Giles. Hello. Yeah, Are you thanking me for coming back? Well, I am, actually, after the last time. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Mike. Hi. Super to have you here, and oh no, thank you, Richard. I've done you last again, Paul. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. You know I like a low profile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And uh, sadly, on this occasion, uh, no Simon. Simon's mm. told us that mm. he wants to take a break from podcasting at the moment, so um, he's not going to be around for the next few at least. But um, it's been great to have him with us, and uh, let's hope we can coax him out of retirement at some point. I'm sure we're still on talking terms with him. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're not, indeed. We're not a, yes, yeah. yes, he's still, yes, I, he's still I, a mate. I had been assuming it wasn't anything personal until you said, until you said that. <laughs> we, no, no, we are, we are. Yeah, there's, been, yeah. there's been another fan schism somewhere along the line, I'm sure. So as I'm sure you'll remember, the premise of Something Who is that we look at a couple of Doctor Who stories, one from the original series and one from the new series, and we look at some of their similarities and differences, and on the whole it gives us a, an excuse to talk about them for a while. Um, until we get bored. And on this occasion, for episode two, we've picked Spearhead from Space and Rose. I guess before we get into that, though, any news from anyone since the last time we got together? Yeah. Well, I got married. Ooh, Say, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten. Yes, you did mention something. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, sorry, you, you don't Congratulations. have to I didn't, I didn't get married to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah three weeks ago. Off in Germany, just a small one, but uh, yeah, married life is suiting me well, so far as I can tell. Yeah, and um, fantastic. Yes, yeah. Mike, anything to report? Well, how on earth are we going to be able to live up to that? But <laughs> I can't live up to that. I, I put the bins out. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah top notch. Just once in the last two months. Well, <laughs> I put the yeah. bins out last night. Because I can't. <laughs> in the rain. Oh, um, have I done anything? They, uh, a, a big finished thing was released the other day, but I'm, I'm trying not to talk about that so much after my disastrous attempt at self-publicity on the last episode. Yeah. So pretend that didn't happen. Right, and the scary fires are just on Radio Four Extra at the moment. Oh yeah, is it? Okay. Okay, you didn't know that I'll yourself. <laughs> no, somebody did mention it. <laughs> I don't get paid, so I'm not as interested. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> about you Richard well um, I, I did appear on, on a little thing uh, uh, another podcast one of uh, JR Strangers in Space things so mm. if anyone wants to check out mm. Desert Planet Picks then you'll find me on that okay excellent Good stuff mm. I, I also appeared on another podcast it's not been released yet I, I, I recorded one and I'd be very surprised if it was released yeah <laughs> Well, we can't. We, I mean, after that exciting build-up, you'll have to tell us more when you know when it when it comes out. As when it comes out, okay. Nobody yeah. wants me on their podcast. You're the only ones that love me. Oh, I really, oh. oh, I really lowered the tone. We started with such a <laughs> celebratory account of the, the last month. <laughs> so anyway, Spearhead from Space and Rose. Who remembers when they first saw these uh, stories? I, I first saw Spearhead from Space when it was in black and white. Um, which would have been, I had a look, I, I did some research, I, I had a look on broadcast, and I think it was probably about May 74, which was the first repeat in Melbourne, at least, of Spearhead. Wow. Um, my, my impression was, as I was growing up watching Doctor Who, that Spearhead was on every single year, which wasn't the case for you all in uh, the UK, that we would get um, the new series and then we would go back to Spearhead from Space. The first colour one, and then we jump uh, to Day of the Daleks and Carnival of Monsters, and then we'd go off and we'd have our repeat run. 
Well, that wasn't quite the case from what I can gather. Um, but it seemed to me it was every year. But I, I must have seen it about at least six times prior to about the mid, mid-80s, I would suggest. So, yeah, I, I first saw it in about 1974 in, in, in glorious black and white. Wow. Did you know yeah, that? That's a long time before me. Yeah. Mm. Who's, who, first who, who, claim, who was next? Who saw it next? Well, I saw it when it, when the VHS came out, mm. which I think is about 1988. Yeah. Giles, were you into the big fan video trading networks? Or did Not, you have to wait till 88 as well? I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I had some. I had a friend who was in touch with the uh, late, uh, yeah, dearly departed Dominic May, who um, got hold of quite a few oh, yeah. things. But uh, I don't think I remember Spearhead being part of that. So I think I also had to wait for the VHS for that one. Yeah. Wasn't it, it was one of the earliest of the 9.99 releases, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so it hadn't been cut to ribbons, as I remember. I know. I think it had been... It wasn't edited together version, wasn't it? The first... Yeah, I think so. First release, <coughs> but, but otherwise it wasn't like his 50 minutes of you know, cut-down version of Doctor Who for 25 quid. No, no, it was a full thing. Mm. Uh, there was there was a very brief clip of it on I think maybe Blue Peter uh, in 1983 around the 20th anniversary. Mm. That was in black and white too because I don't think they had the colour version then. Is that right? Well, that's mm. odd. Pretty sure I remember that. Where did the so, colour version go? This is what I'm wondering. What's the story of the colour version? Because it was filmed on film. It was all, there was, I, there think was came, I think it version, came I back from from America later on. Do you know what? That doesn't make any sense. And no, yet, no. it also rings a bell. It was definitely only in black and white at that point. I'm sure of it. It was shown here in color in '78. Um, so the color the, the ones always I'm, existed. The only reason oh, I'm right, confused okay. about that is because it's that we still have the original film, and not even the original film print, the original film negative. So mm. it's not oh. like it was returned on a, an NTSC color version, like okay. so many other pertwees. Um, but I know what you say rings a bell. Can somebody who doesn't, somebody volunteer when they're not speaking to check that during the course of the podcast, mm. and we'll come back to it later? Because I'm very diving for my copy of White as we speak. I, I, if you could, I can't. I can't have a feeling that maybe it's Terror of the Autons that was in black and white. Terror of the Autons was actually yes. Mm. Um, and yet, I do remember definitely it was a clip from Spearhead, and I thought it was in black and white. Oh, it anyway, might, it may well have been because, of course, the BBC famously didn't really know what was in the archives and yeah, would yeah. often choose the worst possible version. <laughs> unerring accuracy. Yeah. Well, yeah, if that's okay, the first so w- if that's the first time that it, someone's got confused between Spearhead and Terror on this podcast, I'm sure it won't be the last because I've planned to <laughs> I've planned to quite a lot. Yes. The glorious book uh, which I was exposed to long before the, long before I saw it on telly. Oh indeed. And, uh, oh, yes. invasion. Mm. Yeah, yes. I guess I probably read that in 1975. Mm. Yes, would have been a bit later for me. But I... <laughs> so I must consider myself lucky that I saw it like six times prior to any of you ever seeing it. Yes, jammy. Yeah. Oh, jammy is the word. Well, it was always on repeat, so we always yeah, saw yeah. it. Um, well, I mean, in after, after, uh, after 1988, the BBC started to show quite a lot more because there yes. at least one attempt to, to re-show who, colour who from the beginning started mm. Spearhead and then mm. generally not getting much further. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It used to leap to Day of the Daleks. Um, so the whole of the 
uh, season eight was gone. They only showed that in black and white in 86, 84, 86 or something, I think. You see, we're really lucky. It always went back to Spearhead, but in 86, it actually went back to the Mind Robber. And it's like, oh, hang on. I haven't seen this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, there is this sort of strange view that, you know, Spearhead is is brilliant and then you've got to cope with the rubber monsters in the Silurians but the problem with that is that you've got the rubber monster at the end of Spearhead as well so it doesn't yes. fully work yeah yeah I guess it's part of that mm. um, small number of Doctor Who stories that <laughs> back in the days when fans were obsessed with finding examples of the program that weren't embarrassing that they could show to ordinary people mm. there's a small mm. category of stories which are considered almost perfect yeah. classics and yet they there's not one that doesn't have something wrong with it, like Peg, <laughs> by the monster. Oddly, the monster in Kazan Jani, the rat in yes. Talons. Mm. It's all, and the yeah. monster again in Spearhead. It's always the monster, isn't it, really? <laughs> Let's be honest. Mm. Yeah. And they're all Robert Holmes. How interesting. Mm, You'd think he'd have learnt not to write in these, these monsters that you can't... <laughs> Actually, he tried with caves, didn't he? Mm. And they, mm. I believe the script had told him, or the producer mm. told him it had to have one. I, t I tell you what, let's let's have a chat about Spearhead, and we'll, we can talk about the circumstance in which we saw Rose when we start talking about Rose. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, who's got something erudite to start us off with on uh, Spearhead? Okay, everyone else paused for slightly too long. I just mentioned Robert Holmes, so there's there's the first thing I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Why mm -hmm. on earth? Right, both from the perspective of a viewer and the pers behind the scenes perspective, why was he chosen for this story? Who no. <laughs> Nobody could have been particularly impressed by the Crotons and the Space Pirates. So why choose him for this in, a season opener, setting up a whole yeah. new format for the program, a whole new mm. look? Why yeah. do you think that's... It's, 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 it's funny because I wrote the same thing. I thought, I said, ooh, this will be good. It's by the guy who wrote the Crotons <laughs> and the Space Pirates. <laughs> I mean, I can assume perhaps he was cheap. <laughs> With every successful story at that point, his fee was going down. Well, they must have seen that uh, film that it was based on Invasion, I think. Well, this oh, that was good. Going to bring that up, yeah. Hmm. Go on then. No, no, I was just, I, I was going to ask whether anyone has seen it. I have a feeling. I have seen it. I have it somewhere. Ah, okay, right. And and how how is it as a as an example of cheap sixties? It's it's okay. It's very sci-fi and short. Yeah, um, it's um, yeah, it's not too bad. I have a feeling rolled around on talking pictures um, a couple of months ago, and I didn't realise what it was, so it passed me well, by. Probably. Hmm. So, I mean, the other thing to say, of course, is it's the last hurrah of Derek Sherwin. Yes, hurrah! Mm. And 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 his his first story that he was involved with Doctor Who, we're told, was Weather Fear, and then of course he wrote the Invasion as well. I mean it. it so, so I mean, he is he is Mister Unit. There are definitely, I think, some similarities between Web of Fear and this story, and I wonder how um, involved Derek Sherwin was in 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 um, the writing process with Robert Holmes. Is this documented anywhere? Because it it does make a lot. Of, it would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Because while stylistically it seems to be quite Holmesian in the sense that we later became <laughs> aware of what that meant. It seems unlikely he would have come in with such a bold strategy completely off the top of his head. Hmm. This was produced by Derek Sherman, right? Was there much of a yeah. gap between in the production between this and the, the other three stories? Or did 
did they seamlessly hand over to Barry and carry straight on? And well, I mean, I mean that yeah, that requires having done some research. Yes, yeah. and had Terence, <laughs> did Terence Dix commission the next three stories? Because of course they're all no slightly Quatermassy is one obvious thing to say about the, th- the four of them. Mm. No, I think I think we can be fairly sure that Derek Shuren was responsible for the whole se- mm. season, although Terence Dix was involved in rewriting quite a lot of it. And when you come up when when a program changes its format so radically as Doctor Who did in season seven, that's going to need a, a higher than average amount of guidance from the producer or script editor or the showrunner, isn't it? Mm. People wouldn't would never have considered coming in pitching ideas for these Earthbound invasions. No. 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 Based on based on what they've been watching or what they thought the program was about, uh, unless they'd seen the invasion, I suppose. But but even that was relatively recent. Yeah. Mm. So no, I think I think it's we can assume that Derek came went went to his writing team and gave each of them the same brief. Can you come up with something yeah. where, which is set on Earth, either an invasion mm. from space or an invasion from that's already here? Yes. As Terence mm. Dix later memorably told us, there are only the two ways of doing it. Hmm. Hmm. So coming back to your original question, Paul, I suppose what we what we are seeing is that we, if we remember season six was the season that nobody could write anything and everything fell apart and they ended up having to do the war games, Robert Holmes at least must have got two scripts in. So yeah, maybe he went to Robert Holmes because he actually wrote stuff. Yeah, probably was, <laughs> he, was, he was the most reliable, maybe. <laughs> yep. Plus, yeah, um, plus Ma- Malcolm Hulk would have been a... Yes. Hangover. Mm-hmm. But then, who, do, who else do we have? Whitaker being involved again. Very good. Yes. With ambassadors. Um, yes, I suppose someone, he would have yeah. been still considered a reliable old hand. Mm. Uh, even though they found out very quickly that he wasn't. That <laughs> he, he buggered off to Australia, didn't he? That's why there was um, problems there. But also, his his understanding of the program had was stuck right. in the sixties. But I suppose yes, it was very much yeah. And who else? Who else have we got? In Don Houghton, is it? Don Houghton, yeah. yeah. Later to write um, Hammer films. Mm. But I guess they were all yeah reliable genre writers that were um, yeah would have been good people to good people to have gone to with that basic brief that they obviously formulated by the end of season six anyway, and they knew they knew where they were going. In terms so, of the basic Excel framework and and so on, and that they asked Padders whether she'd stay on, didn't they? I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Was it, it her or Jamie that they wanted to keep? It was keep? both of them, wasn't it? And they both said, "No, it's a good time to go. We all go together, or something." I think. So look, we can assume that the writers all got the same brief. Um, mm. That Robert Holmes got the same brief as as whoever <laughs> was writing Ambassadors of Death. But it's a rather different story. The other three are very serious, mm. and very interesting, very novel, very good. And yet Robert Holmes does something rather different. He does something rather playful and inventive. It's not as mad as he would go the following year when he re- has a second go at it in Terror of the Autons, but it's still it's still quite a distinctive... Mm. St- yes. It's now, the, is, it's, how much it's of that the is one, because... It's the, one that isn't a, it's the one that really wouldn't be a Quatermass story, I guess. You, um, How much of this is down to him only having four episodes, so he doesn't have to fill it with three episodes of? He can lose three episodes of padding immediately and just get mm. on with telling the the story that needs to be told. And how much is down to him just being Robert Holmes? It's not quite as Holmesian as it could be. I mean, it's not got a comedy character, 
as um, as unsubtle as oh, what's his name in Space Pirates? Oh yeah, cowboy. Oh, yes, yeah. Gordon Gostel. Yes. The Marlowe Clancy. Marlowe Clancy. Yeah. Mm. Mm. His newfangled silver toaster. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> Although the Doctor kind of fits into that a little bit you know he's, when when he when he starts doing his his kind of broad comedy both in the hospital and then in the unit lab mm. now there's an interesting parallel with with Tom Baker's first year Pertwee's distinctly more comedic in this story than he is in the next 3 in mm. exactly mm. in a very similar way to Tom Baker in Robot yeah now what's that is, all about is that is him is the Hampshire that is down to Pertwee um start or oh, <laughs> doing that McCoy thing of going with his instincts being thrown in and, and acting comedically if that's what he's used to he's unsure mm. doesn't trust himself as a serious actor yet and how much is just because it's by Holmes how much is down to it being a different producer it's a part, could be any of, those, it, it? It's a part of sort of introducing the doctor's eccentricities mm. the new doctor uh, that's, that's it's, what it's, I always yep. felt yeah. we've already had one one precedent for that a story where the doctor behaves eccentrically mm. although here mm. they don't go for that sort of is it <laughs> because we've seen it once before they don't have that yeah. whole is this really the doctor side well, except well, from the brigadier but I, well. I don't think that Derek Sherwin's going to remember that I mean I I, I think that the, no the, no that, that sadly the the um, the memory of the program is going to be restricted to the last couple of years because that's what he he was involved with so I think on the whole he's going they've hired a comedy actor yeah. to play a humorous role and so there's plenty of opportunity for comedic, comedic yeah. acting. And then John Pertwee, you know, plays it the way he's told to, and then I guess changes his mind after a story and decides he wants to be more serious. And of course, the the Doctor that Holmes has written for twice, very recently, was a funny, a comedic mm. Doctor. Mm. Mm. So particularly at the back end of season six, yeah. Yes, yeah. All the, um, That's yeah. all the explanation we need. It, the, question I suppose we should be asking is why does the Doctor suddenly become much more serious not just serious but stern patronising authority yeah um, patrician it, uh, immediately in the next story well That's, I was mm. yeah I, one of the things that struck me I, I sort of I did make a note about the fact that the Doctor and Liz get to bond immediately out, uh, over the fact you know Liz warms to the Doctor because he doesn't take the Brigadier quite you know too seriously yeah Mm. Although so there's there's something interesting going on there because because I, I agree with you. I mean, it's very clear that that within about ten seconds, the Doctor and Liz have become a team, and and the Brigadier is is kind of on the outside. But when you look at it, the Brigadier actually treats Liz quite well, mm. and she despises him. The Doctor <laughs> is utterly mm. condescending, <laughs> and, and and kind of casually sexist, yes. and she seems to like him. I, I, it seems. Rather strange. Yeah, well, the, the, the introductory scene with Scobie is a is a good case. Oh, and again, yes, I, I, yeah. I made I made a note. I thought, okay, nice to see yeah. the brigadier actually standing up for the feminist angle of yeah. you know. No, she's not just a bit of skirt we have around the office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, she's not to just a pretty superior. face, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, my my note was uh, uh, some nice early sixties seventies sexism from Scobie. Love Liz's sarcasm. Basically, that's what it's like. And Liz is actually quite um, sarcastic. And um, mm. I, I made notes. I said, uh, what did I describe her as? Skeptical, sassy, and smart. Um, mm. So an interesting uh, companion, so to speak, um, mm. in this first story. 
still yeah. as yet unencumbered by a ridiculous wig and yes. um, yeah. non-existent skirts. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And there's there's also on the subject of um, feminism. There's also a female supervisor right at the very start of the. Yes. Story. Yes. Yeah, very true. Yeah. The um, the thing that interested me watching this and it's bringing the rose comparison but it's kind of one's got to do it at some point because we're watching this yeah we're watching both of these with a you know with a view to kind of drawing parallels and seeing where the seeing sure. where things come up and the thing that interested me um, and surprised me to be honest with this is episode one considering at this point dot two had only been off the air for was it six months from i think so i think, so. I think they, did yeah, they have a six that. month gap from um, and it was a well-known, it was a well-known quantity, and yet, and yet they do absolutely the way that the first episode in particular is written, and it even hangs over into the second episode, is that it is an absolute jumping-on point uh, for new viewers, and the, the only thing mm. that really jarred with me was, you know, about the whole thing. I thought, I you know, uh, the brigadier gets a mission statement speech that yeah. he gives to Liz. And explains who the doctor is, um, and I, you know, I, I said, you know, this seems very surprising given the short gap, and an assumption that people would have kind of known. And the only thing that, um, you know, and the only thing because they they do it, it's brilliantly built up because actually you don't see. Per- I was just looking at it directorially, you don't see Pertwee until until you get the scene where he wakes up. He's always slightly out of, out of out of shot. You see his head. You don't see. You don't see him. Mm. It reminded me of well, a couple of the um, <laughs> slightly random random connection to make, but a couple of the Bond debuts. And it's possibly the only connection you can make in terms of in terms of there being a case of a character who has a similar preview and in Golden in Goldeneye and in Licence to Kill. In both of them, they had fun with showing the actor from various angles and in silhouettes and so on and so forth <laughs> until. Until you sort of then had an iconic moment of them waking up and being being that, or you know, well, not waking waking up in this case, but you know, something that identified them as the as the star. The the only thing that I felt undermined it was the fact that we get the we get the scene of the TARDIS materialising in the in the woods and the Doctor tumbling out of it. Mm. Yes, and it it just felt like oh, that's that's really odd because the whole thing. The rest of it, it feels like it's building a nice mystery that you have the Doctor referencing it, you have the, you know, they found this, they yeah. found this body in the woods near a police box, uh, sure. and then you then you have the Doctor shown out of, out, out of focus and in, you know, from a distance and so on, all the way through mm. until, you know, and, and it felt like, okay, there's, there's a nice, they've written a nice, is, is he, isn't he, they've written quite a nice build up to it. But it's undermined by the fact that we've actually seen the TARDIS materialise and him come mm. falling out of it just right at the mm. start. Sure, and I mean the, the the police box shouldn't have mean, mean anything to Unit because mm. you know the Web of Fear it, it materialises somewhere in the tunnels, but they don't think that, that they ever get to see. Oh, that's it. And true. Invasion, yes. Of course, it's it's invisible, isn't yeah. it? So, mm. well, that's one of those. <laughs> Dramatic conventions, isn't it? That's true. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. Big finish us, of, I guess. So that's the key. Thing. I'm sure. Big finish is a story that probably explains that particular continuity. Oh, of course, yes. oh <laughs> big finish. Piss take Claxon. Yes, thanks. <laughs> sorry, I'll, sorry. I'll pass that on to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Nick. 
<laughs> but it's a very good point you make. So it's written that way, mm. and due to one of those, it fell down the cracks and wasn't filmed, shot that way. Mm. Um, but again, why? Did, did Robert Holmes remember Power of the Daleks? If anybody was likely to. Ironically, mm. I think it's almost more like to be him than any of the other production staff, just because he had that sort of mm. brain. But even mm. that's a bit of a long shot. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, the, the materialization thing, it's it's too early for it to have been fan service. In this day, in this day and age, it feels like everyone wants every T dotted and I crossed and um, the other way around, and um, you know, and, and like we have to see every significant moment of the Doctor's life to be convinced it's still him. Otherwise, it could be the Master in disguise or whatever. Um, if you think about all the stuff about you know all the you know all the nonsense about going back and filling in the gaps to so so we saw the regeneration into Eccleston and all of mm. that stuff you know which I mm. I don't personally hold with but it's too early for it to have been that so it's it's just odd they 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 stuck if it wasn't for that one shot at the start you'd have the whole thing and again you had the X-rays the blood tests I'll stop going on about it now mm. but it's just struck me as a funny thing. Yeah, I like I mean, it. Do, do we think that the doctor, the the um, the medical doctor in in this in the hospital, is a sort of um, early version of Harry Sullivan? He sort of seems to have some of the similar qualities to the character in the robot. Um, mm. I wonder if, if 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 there's a through line with Holmes there, who at least theoretically is script editor of robot. Mm. That's a good point. Not sure where to go with it. But, uh... No comments mm-hmm. possible. I, th- I think that the, the the interesting thing about Spearhead is that it's like a template for the Pertwee era. There's a whole lot of things in there that will be repeated all the way through. Like you have mm. the thing where he does the eyes, the the eyebrows thing, the Delphon, you mm. know, all that sort of alien stuff that Pertwee always talks about coming along. Um, so that that sort of carries on through the whole era. Um, Somewhat, speaking of rubber monsters, the bit at the end, there you have Pertwee pulling some sort of um, crazy goony face where he's being strangled by something, which uh, mm. reoccurs quite a lot, sort of maybe his acting or whatever. And I know there's people on Mondas who will, uh, will you know, flay me alive for saying that, but, um, you know, it's there and that's the start of it. And, you know, all, all sorts of, and there's, there's other things as well. Um, but they're, they're, they're the things that struck me as sort of, you know, Third Doctor um, sort of um, um, tropes. schisms and stuff. Say tropes. 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 Mm. That's the word I was looking for. Tropes. That's what, that's what the kids say. Yeah, tropes. Hey, man, tropes. Um, mm. Yeah, they come through. Um, as This is the earlier sign of that. Um, it's also... Um, I, I, in episode two, there's a nude scene, um, which <laughs> you, you don't get in Doctor Who much. And there's also blood. Um when the uh, jeep crashes, oh, that was and, a bit of a shocker. That yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's oh, like okay, mm, that's quite mm. graphic. Yeah, just to show off mm. that it's now in colour. Mm. Yeah, I think so. They're looking for any opportunity. <laughs> Apparently, that shower is still there in the um, and it's the place where they filmed it. At least now it's a hotel. Oh, yeah. And um, and <laughs> someone on um, someone on Gaddy Base um, shared a shared a he'd, he'd stayed in the room. Where they had well, stayed at that hotel and had recreated, <laughs> recreated the Pertwee shower scene, <laughs> complete with shower cap. He couldn't resist. He couldn't resist the urge. <laughs> so it's, it's also got the um, you know 
dressing like a dandy and also the love of mm. uh, souped up jalopies as well, which well, um, yeah, I, I carries love the, on I love the, the fact that yeah, I love the fact that Pervy's first high speed chase is in a wheelchair at the end of episode one. Yes. <laughs> it's like yeah. okay, that was that was an yeah. early early um if if it's got wheels if it's got I'll wheels yeah jump on it yeah but I I did like the way as I said that's you know there, there's some really nice um things and just to, just to finish off that thought that even at the start of episode two there's the scene with Liz in the lab um which again really gives a reminder to viewers of the absolute basics of the of the series and what's go, what's going on and what they're there for. Uh, I can't quite remember the details of it now, but again, it just struck me as they're really concerned to make this a jumping on point for everyone. Um, yeah, perhaps so. more people are going to watch it because it's in colour, etc., etc. Mm. I, I don't know what the, uh, the uh, was. The, the viewing figures had gone a lot lower in, in Series 6, hadn't they? They were yes. pretty much yeah. as low as they... So maybe that's that was a factor. That's certainly true. There's, there's a lot of reasons why they might have wanted to do this. Later it became established that you always use the, a new doctor as an excuse to take a step back from mm. the show but the longer than usual gap is the longest gap they've had the lower this is true yes. figures the opportunity to use the change into color to get extra publicity and the mm. fact that it is quite self-consciously a, a new kind of show because Derek Sherwin wanted it to be mm. there's just so many reasons that mm. we've... I'm just trying to see it's um so, yeah, the, so um, yeah, it was a substantial jump, but possibly also the summer to winter thing. Uh, the War Games was averaging, it, it dipped as low as 3.5 million um, on mm-hmm. episode 8 um, and finished on 5 million and looks like it averaged about 5 million throughout. And then um, episode 1 of Spearhead was 8.4 million. Mm, right. And it pretty much held, held those numbers, 8.1, 8.3, 8.1. Uh, through the rest of it, so it's quite a um, quite a significant. But of course, it had the benefit of being broadcast on January nights. So, um, hmm. which um... now one of those things that fans used to say, which may well be a fan myth, is that it, for a while it was considered to cancelling Doctor Who was considered, and one of the things they wanted to replace it with was another series of Quatermass. Does, does anyone remember? Yeah, remember no, that, 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 that... Something's banded that, about. I, I'm not always sure that, that there was, it was I'm not sure it's not true. It sounds like that's a back formation and a, a way of explaining why it goes a bit Quatermassy. But mm. um, I don't know. I think thoughts that on that? It's certainly in I danger, can... I believe. Yeah, but I think the point when it was in danger, I think the, the fan myth thing comes in because I think the reality is it was in danger of being cancelled at the end of series seven if it hadn't picked up right it wasn't in danger of being it was never in danger of being cancelled or not significantly in danger of being cancelled at the end of series six mm-hmm. uh, if that makes any sense so it was like the war, oh, got you. so the yeah. war games wasn't ever going to be the you know despite despite everything, the, war game, the war games wouldn't have been the last hurrah as much as it feels like somewhere where they could have Put a bow on the series and said, "Okay, that was it, and we'll have something new for the seventies." Mm. But it was series seven. It was like the, the ratings had gone though, and if they hadn't recovered uh, in series seven, then then that might, might have been when it got cancelled. Yeah, yeah, that would have been an interesting end, wouldn't it? Yeah. You say, "Well, it's it's six years of of one thing, and then suddenly one year <laughs> of another, and then mm. that's it." Well, 
that's hardly unique. It happens quite a lot <laughs> in, in American television, particularly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Last desperate roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last series where they change everything and try to make it, uh, you know, try to put something fresh in and uh, no one yes. else watching. Yeah. Off. Often introducing a sort of scrappy dude type figure. <laughs> jazz it up. Yes, yes. Mm. Mm. I, I think the other thing about Spearhead that um, really I've always remembered this all the way through is Channing and the performance mm. in a in, in a in a Doctor littered with really bad performances from guest stars. You have Hugh Burton here playing. Um, um, Channing, and he's really, really good because he's really, really creepy and he's really freaky. Mm. And I think that um, uh, he sort of makes it in in many ways because his performance is so damn good. Because um, that bit with you know his eyes and you know the bit, and I think it's in episode mm. three where you see him behind that um, window, uh, sort of mm, yeah. highlighting yes. his alienness. And you know another, there's another little touch in it too where when Scobie meets them and he doesn't shake his hand. Because, of course, he doesn't mm, yeah. want to give away that he's plastic. Which, the audience doesn't really know that at that time. And I thought mm. that that was nice little touches um, in the whole story. And he's, you know, really, really, really good um, guest star. And he sort of helps drive it along a bit, I think. And yes, John Woodnut, yeah. in his first Doctor Who appearance, is actually mm. really quite good. as Hibbert, too. Um, yes, yeah. I think there's a great thing. I, I made a note. I, th- I was thinking, is this the first time we've... I, I suppose not, because we've had... We had Tobias Vaughan in the in Invasion, of course. I was just thinking this sort of boardroom, boardroom drama scenes, for want of a better. You know, that mm. is possibly the first time that sort of stuff crops up. But mm. I was going to say we've been edging tentatively into the real world for a while now. Mm. We've just baby steps. Yeah. Whether if you want to date it back to the war machines, but on through mm. lots of stories that set ostensibly set on Earth, modern day Earth, but don't really feature anything recognisable. But now yes. we're getting yeah. closer well, and closer be, to it being. It's going mm. to be interesting when Faceless Ones rolls around and is obviously going to be up for a reappraisal that, next yeah. year. Because mm. um, that's what I think that's. That's a, got plenty of exciting airport detail, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's mm. an interesting Doesn't... and overlooked missing link yeah. in that whole. Mm. In that, this whole move towards. The real, real world, as you say. But mm-hmm. uh, can I just? Um, I wanted to say a bit. Just I thought generally the structure of it. It's, it's a beautifully put together little. You know the whole the whole thing. The way I noticed, you know, just watching it and thinking, okay, the way that things come in at the start start of episodes. Each episode kind of moves things on and does something new because, like the you know the 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 whole thing of plastic is introduced right at the start of episode two in the yeah. scene when they're they're examining the meteorite fragment we haven't had any, anything mm. of that with the you know we've had the media, meteorite stuff in the in the, fir- the first episode is very much like the doctors finding the doctor and setting up the thing but then then we get plastic and we get that and then it jumps straight to the straight to the plastics factory groovy mm. groovy montage yep and and then i thought that that's actually very nicely done the whole thing with with Ransom, the designer, coming back so he can be our outsider that gives us the opportunity to have the, the info dump of what's going mm. on. It's just really you know, neatly neatly put together. Bob Bob I was think. very good at those um, those cuts where you can not only miss miss out a chunk of boring exhibition but but gives the story some pace. Mm. And yet and I tend to attribute that to him, but he's not even he's not even unique in this series. I've watched the whole series relatively recently and 
it happens quite a lot mm. Mm. where um, there's a nice big dramatic juxtaposition between two scenes which which skips over a lot of stuff that might well in other eras be be shown explicitly to no great reward mm. it is odd that it's, it's still there in those seven part stories even though they also have enormous amounts of padding so the, those seven part stories the the pace is very jerky mm. you sometimes get you plod along for <laughs> what seems like hours and then mm. suddenly there's a massive acceleration forward mm. and then mm. it's back to the plodding again but here because the whole the whole thing's tight it works absolutely perfectly mm. and uh, you yeah. might you might assume that he would is writing that because if you were writing for film i think that tends to as opposed to studio videotape i think it's that tends to be part of your mindset mm. that you don't have to show everything in a sort of, sort of continual steady pace like theatre you but of course, he didn't write it knowing it was going to be shot on film. No, no. Written it, assuming it was going to be made like any other studio drama. Mm. So that is just something that Bob, or indeed the script editor, is bringing to things. Mm. So, so I actually, is there anything else to say about the fact that it's all shot on film? For, I, before I saw it for the first time, it was when there's fan givens that this was the most exciting, expensive-looking mm. Doctor Who of all time because the entire thing was shot on glossy film. And, of course, it's not 100% true. Mm. It does no, look good, though. Well, it does look very it, nice, mm. but it's not. I think for me, I try not to talk about production issues, but um, while it looks lovely, one problem with f um, shooting things on location when you're. F it's, yes, it's not so much the fact it's on film, but the fact it's all on location. The acoustics are a bit. The acoustics, yeah. It can be yeah. very echoey. So it's, there is a slight mm. downside to it. I'd agree. Mm. Well, I was just going to say, I think, not so much the dossiness, but there's. Stuff that I think I think the fact they do it they're doing it on film. Uh, it, Derek Martinus, you know, okay, he was I guess he was forced into it. They're pretty lucky they they got a they had a director who he, I think he takes full advantage of of it. I mean, I, I know certainly no expert on the variations and you know on, on the limitations, but obviously you know we know roughly what those big big old monopod cam you know video cameras look like. And you couldn't have gotten away with some of the stuff that they do, if you know that there's some stuff that are particularly nice scenes that would have looked completely different if they'd done them in studio on film. And I, I sort of made a note of a couple of things like the the media scrum scene yes. with, the, mm. with the brigadier, and uh, you know, you've got shaky cam kind of thing. It's really nice that they actually yeah. they pick up the camera yeah. and shake it around as it's it's one of the one of the journalists. You know, it's. Um, and that's really nice, and you get the um, and then that's where you've got a lovely tracking shot all the way down, you know, you know, walking through the corridors with the brigadier and and his his junior, um, you know, yes. very very long, you know, they go through about four rooms down a corridor, you know, with oak, oak panelled rooms and everything, and yeah. um, that, that's really nice. It's got a nice gag at the end that's as well mm -hmm. about the about the um about the brigadier authorizing the use of live ammo, and. Um, but, uh, very well, very well directed. Mm. You also get nice little happy accidents, like the one you mentioned with Ch um, Channing. Is it behind the glass? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, door. The sort of thing that is not unique to this story, but often happens on location on film. That you can make use of whatever you find. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. We'll put those little moments mm. in. And, and and you get a non uh, Dougie Camfield um, battle scene for once. You as do. Well. Yes. It's filmed in the same place as the invasion, I believe. 
the old Guinness factory. I think that, that they were both filmed in the same location. Oh, right, okay. Um, but yeah, that. you get it's it's not Douglas Camfield doing the battle mm. scenes because he normally does all of those. So it's Derek Martinus here. Mm. So it's actually really quite good. And there's I've, mm. I've also made a note. It's just just for for me. There's a there's a very English scene where when the Autons come out of the shop window and start killing everybody, there's a whole lot mm. of people lined up at a bus stop, which is that sort of cliche about the English yes. line up for anything. <laughs> yeah. And they all lined up at a bus And I always notice that and go, oh, mm. yes, that's very English. So you know where it is. Um, mm. So for, for, for we <laughs> foreigners, that uh, is a nice touch, mm. I think. Oh, you couldn't mistake that dreary high street for anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I was, think... It was going straight back to my youth mm. But I do think that um, yeah, that final battle scene is... It's it's very much a statement of intent, you know, yeah. for for what you can expect from this era of Doctor Who, I think. Yes, Coming, is it, know, I haven't... It feels like... You I know, haven't watched this quite recently enough. I can't remember what the action and the stunt work is like. Are we, we're not quite in the Havoc era yet, are we? No. Or are we? No. The, no. no, that, that no. comes that in... Um, over the next few stories. Ambassadors of Death, I think. It's dramatic, and it's... Yes, okay, that, you know, it's... The only thing I think we've seen similar is, is invasion, mm. I guess, yeah. you know, mm. um, in terms of... A web of fear. In, uh, oh, and web, yeah. of course, yeah. But in yeah. terms of... No, Covent Garden. Staging a staging yeah. a quite impressive, um, you know, quite impressive action shots. And the other thing that I uh, I was looking at it and thinking, hang on, this rings a bell. And um, it's <laughs> it's nice to know that people that um, directors haven't just started um, homaging the Odessa Steps sequence um, in the in the past <laughs> past few decades because this is definitely this is definitely you know it's cribbing from it quite deliberately. I think the whole thing. There's a whole load of running feet over bodies and running, you know, feet running down streets and stuff. Is there a pram? Hmm? There isn't a, Is there a there pram. Isn't a pram but um, but um, but definitely all the sort of running feet and stuff is mm. very much how mm. you know there's there's sequences in the Odessa Steps. Yep. I agree. It looks terrific. I um, in terms of expectations and things, I remember the first, well, not the, maybe the second time I watched it after getting the video in in '88. I took it along to a meeting of the my school Doctor Who Society. Yeah. Um, mm. Normally, there's another chap who um, used to get used to supply the videos for our screenings. He got them all from Australia. Mm. But yeah, that's odd. Why? Wonder why he didn't have this. But anyway, for some reason, I was the only person who had it, and everyone was very excited. And I remember coming out of the, the screening one Sunday afternoon, feeling that everyone was mildly, <laughs> mildly underwhelmed. Mm. And I'm not sure why. I think maybe they were imagining something like an an ITC. Action program. They, I think there are imaginations that run away with them in terms of just this, the build-up to just how exciting this mm. film-based story is going to be. But I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, mm. What's the point of that anecdote? I'm much more intelligent than everyone I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that wasn't supposed to be yes. the point. Um, <laughs> but it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've you've also got this um, this odd story with um, with Sam and Meg Seeley, the the, the poacher. Mm. I mean, they're it, odd in the sense that they, I mean, they don't appear to come from real life. I mean, <laughs> Sam Seeley can barely talk. Mm. Um, what, 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 I mean, is what is that accent? What What is their accent, by the way? Where's that from? Well, I don't, I don't think it exists. <laughs> okay. Rural. I don't know. It's, it's from rural share. Yeah, it's just, mm. it's Mama kind of... said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, a, she's a bit more, I mean, of, of a, of a, a believable person, I suppose, than he is. But yeah, I, I don't know. He's, 
he's if he's either over or under acting or maybe both at the same time but um it just doesn't seem to work it's it's strange that i mean i, I first i'd like to give a give a shout out for the um for the unit corporal at, at the end of episode one who deserves some kind of special award for stupidity when a man walks up to him with a um with a large suspiciously shaped sack over his <laughs> shoulder and starts asking him yeah. how much one of these meteorites might be worth <laughs> yeah. and apparently doesn't start to think what have you got in that bag then <laughs> um, yeah but i found it funny that um because we do get i had to go back and check and mrs c is it meg uh, yeah. she um she does apparently survive her encounter with the autumn mm. um but because because we see liz checking her over when she's unconscious i think and she says oh she'll be fine mm. Um, but we we don't yes, get apparently, a... apparently Liz is a medic as well. Mm. <laughs> anyway, go on. But we don't get so um, yeah. It feels yeah. We don't get a payoff to that to that whole thing. It feels like oh, should there be some res- wow. resolution there about about him and his Country him and his ways in, the, in this genre or not? I mean, he should either get a yeah, but he should he should either get a bloody good hiding for for um, for what he's brought upon them or. Um, Ah, so Chibbers has seen this, Mm. and that's where he got the whole theme for uh, Series 11 from. (laughs) Mm? Nobody gets a comeuppance. Mm. Mm, No, true, yeah. Yes, so so it felt felt funny. I I was kind of expecting her to to die, and and, um, I thought, oh, that's that's quite dark, and then I was thinking, oh, and then we don't get a, we don't get it, we should at least have got a reaction shot from him when he was told. But uh, anyway, it doesn't just fizzles certainly out. not like certainly not like the gruesome death that poor old Ransom has. No, no. Mm. Mm. Yeah, or, or Rory Stewart as I think. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it fizzles out so they can go off to um, go off to two swords instead. So, so some interesting things. I mean, we will need to start talking about Rose in a minute. Some interesting things Ooh. about this story that. Um, or I guess about Rose that I didn't realise until looking at this one again. So, so Mickey in the in in the Rose story then turns up as the Auton replicant, and he's he's suddenly very shiny. And I remember <laughs> when I saw Rose the first time, I thought, oh, they've kind of rather overdone that. And yet, actually, the the replicants in this are extremely shiny. Mm. I mean, even even the two thugs yes. who, are, who are trying to stick yes, um, yes. Bertwee into in, uh, into the. Um, the, the uh, ambulance are there, so yeah. I've just I've just watched Rose this evening, and I still think it is a bit over the top. There is there not a a hierarchy of shininess in Spearhead because Channing is a bit more subtle, isn't he? He's just mm. a quite, su- quite a subtle a sheen on his face that you could believe was yeah. just somebody had a you know rather yeah. extravagant curry last night yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scobie is quite shiny. Scobie is very shiny. The Johnson, right. a little Johnson bit too much makeup. Mm. A, Maybe there, yeah. there's different levels of uh, Auton, and Channing is by far the best, mm. and the rest are sort of not. I think so. Uh, and Scobie's shiny, and then you've got the thugs in the hospital who are extremely shiny, and they're sort of rudimentary sort of humans. Mm. Mm. If ever in any of these stories we'd seen, we'd actually seen uh, an Auton being created, adopted. Mm. Yeah, uh, yes, one of these all realistic Auton replicants um, being grown. Transforming from the, the smooth dome, the smooth um, mm. unfeatured face into, you know what I mean. Mm. We might be able to see the very stage. Well, we of this do process. see we see the Scobie thing before it becomes him, 
Yes. It looks, but it's it's not quite an, an ordinary Auton, but mm. it's not quite him either. It's sort of somewhere in between. Ah. Yes, true. Maybe that's um, what I was thinking of. But, um, I mean, also with Channing, I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a Scooby-Doo ending with, with because they sort of turn him over and it turns out that Channing was just an Auton all along. Mm. Uh, and I guess he'd have gotten away with it too if it hadn't <laughs> been for those pesky kids. Mm. It, yeah, I'd love to know where, what, yeah, where the real Channing came from or what, who the real Channing was, if there ever was a real or Channing. What, or what they the were real doing with Channing, it. please stand up. Mm. Also, uh, uh, at the end of it, the, the other thing I like about it is they say, or Liz says something like, is that the last we're ever going to see of the Autons? And the Doctor says... Um, did you say? I, oh, I think so. Or, I'm not sure. But 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 he, he, he definitely feel there's a sequel being yeah. set up even at that point. Mm. Mm. Anyway, other things you want to talk about this story before we move on to Rose? I don't think they've, the BBC have merchandised it enough. I don't think they've released it quite as often as they could have done. It'll be next year. It'll be released again on Blu-ray as part of Blu-ray mm. box set because it's 50 years next year since this came out. Hard to believe. And I know when, as soon as I wrote that, when I wrote that on one of the forums, it made me feel instantly ancient. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be next year at some stage, I'm sure. A small wager on that. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure they. Well, they could cash in, you know. <laughs> cash in time. Uh, can I just yeah you know, speak up for when Pertwee's gurning in the and the, the tentacles? <laughs> I think I think I think the, the I think the nesting. When it's in the when it's in the box, I think it's reasonably effective. As a, yes, I agree. Yeah. As, a little, as soon as like, you see the tentacles coming out, pulsating yeah. ganglion thing, mm. and I think I yeah. think it's a bit people sort of have a go at get Perpy's gurning, but I'm not sure. He kind of has to overact in order to sell yes. sell the thing at all, and I think I think it's. Yeah. I have some sympathy there, but he does overact. That's the point, I think. If, and it if comes, he doesn't gurn, then it's it's just like the final scene in, or the, the the snake scene in, in Kinder, really, mm. isn't it? Yeah. What do you do in the face of a uh, an obviously rather crappy effect that you're trying to trying to do your best to sell? Yeah, mm. I, th- I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of an unforgiving thing, so I'm inclined to I'm inclined to let him off on that. Bad, bad effect. Time, time, time to pull a goonie face. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Any, anything else? Pertwee. Well, just, just this, is, this crosses over into Rose anyway. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny that you, you were, were all kind of saying, oh, well, he's, he's less serious in this than, than he is later, which is true enough. But I think, I think the interesting thing is, and it's, it does both is, it goes across both of these stories. Is in both cases we have uh, an actor cast as a doctor, who is very well known for mm-hmm. playing one type of character, and is and is playing very much against type in mm. both. You know, they're, 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 you know, they're both Doctor Who was lucky to get Pertwee, and I, you know, I think Pertwee got you know Pertwee bought his own bought his own built-in audience who wanted to see. So that's probably some some excuse for the increase of. Increase in the audience at the start. I mean, obviously there was also the opportunity to see it in colour and and everything at the start of the seventies. But I think I think the show was lucky to get him. It might not be my favourite era, but but in terms of his profile, and it's it's interesting that there's a there is a parallel there to to the whole thing of you know casting Eccleston 
at the start of the yeah, at the start of the revival. Mm. Like you're getting who to play the doctor, and uh, you know this mm. uh, this you know I've got to, you know this I've got to see because it's not what I'm not what you're expecting. And then what mm. you get when you actually turn in and watch it is also probably not not what you were expecting from that actor. Yeah, it's almost like he's he's watched the show though, isn't it? Because he you know he does this he does this Pertwee style gurning with the Orton Handus um, uh, Eccleston, mm. um, and and he and he's doing quite a lot of broad comedy all the way through that particular mm. episode as well. Almost, and yet I would still feel fairly confident he hasn't. Oh yeah, and that's <laughs> just him desperately trying to work out how on earth he plays this script. Mm. Yeah, feeling that it's a good idea to to be playing this part, but not quite not entirely sure um, that it's within him. Hmm. Well, we'll come on to yeah. I guess we'll treating it like it must be just like an acting challenge, like any other acting challenge. And yet, on the day, I think I can see panic in his eyes. Hmm. Anyway, have we moved on? Well, I guess w- what we could maybe do is, before we get sort of right into the thrust of Rose, we could maybe have a, a similar thing about how and when we first saw it. I'll maybe kick us off and say that I um, had my first encounter with the seamier end of the internet and Ooh. bit torrents and downloads and whatever, oh, and, God. And, uh, because I'd heard that it was somehow available. Which led to perhaps to the most embarrassing uh, encounter that I had with. Um, Where the earth is this going? With with with, with Clay, Clayton Hickman. Oh. I got a, I got a, I got a phone call one morning from from him to say congratulations, you've you've won a contest in uh, Doctor Who magazine to to be able to witness this the first screening of Rose. You know, clearly a few weeks earlier, I'd been quite enthusiastic about seeing this thing early, and then of course I'd snuck onto the internet and found it anyway. <laughs> right. So, so I told him quite truthfully that unfortunately on the on the day I was I was no one available to attend because I had a work thing on. But I mean, you know, the truth of the matter was that that if I if I hadn't already seen it on the internet, I'd have moved heaven and earth to to go to this mm. um, this this showing. He, he was he was so enthusiastic in the way that he called me. I mean, it felt it felt like I don't know, like strangling a puppy or something. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the worst of it was that I couldn't help feeling that he was probably having, you know, hundred and fifty similar calls all that morning, <laughs> and you know, probably struggling to understand why it was that nobody was was coming for this fantastic prize that he had. So yeah, it was it was a little bit. Um, uh, of, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm a bit ashamed about the whole thing. How wonderful. <laughs> I first, uh, I, I first saw it. Someone, it wasn't shown here for some time after the British showing, and someone sent me a copy of it. Someone had recorded it and turned it into a DVD for me. Someone um, mm-hmm. from my family had somehow got a copy of it and they'd sent it to me. And that's when I first saw it, uh, some three or four months before it was actually shown here, which is not how it is these days. And yeah, and what I did was I actually that went around my work. We used to have this thing called the TARDIS ring, which became later. We used to send it around to each other. And um, about 10 or 12 people, because there was quite a lot of Who fans there, um, actually watched this episode, all before the, uh, the ABC actually got around to showing it, um, which is probably why they started um, showing it, you know, 
about eight hours after it's shown in the UK, mm. as it is now. Because, um, yeah, because these days no one's going to wait. So that's how I first saw it. I first saw the other episodes, the following episodes, because I bought the DVD from the UK, which was also released before mm-hmm. it was actually shown on TV here. It's similar to your story, Richard, except someone sent it to me um, in by mail. Um, so I... Yeah. I watched it on the telly. Yeah, you probably would. <laughs> the, the, the way it ought to be watched. Yeah, mm. complete with live voiceover by Graham Norton. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. no, I assume I saw that version. I, I really can't remember that bit at all. So, um. I de- I, no, I remember Graham I Norton. I remember Graham Norton, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, same here. Yes, but, just on, but, on the telly. Is that Graham day. Norton? Do you not know about that? No. <laughs> oh, my goodness, everyone knows about that. Well, yes, um, so he... The feed from some live broadcast he was doing oh. into the opening minutes. Oh of the yes, yes, I've yeah. have heard of this. Yes, okay, yeah. So I thought you were saying that was... he was doing a live commentary or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, well that's me trying to be funny. Mm. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> I'd have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for your. <laughs> Sorry, being on another continent. <laughs> no, we didn't have that. We didn't have the news bleeding into it or anything like that. I can't remember. I don't know whether I would have known how to track down this leaked copy of the internet. I don't know whether I made a moral or artist or artistic choice not to spoil it for myself, or if I just didn't know how to t- torrent things. I can't remember. So anyway, I wasn't that. S- yeah, I, gu- I guess I wasn't that um fussed. I think I think I heard rumours that it, that it had leaked, but I was by that point. I know I had a bit of excitement that it because I'd been off off Doctor Who for quite a quite a good long time really uh, I'd gone gone pretty much cold turkey after the McGann movie and um, mm-hmm. and it was only really when we had the trailer at Christmas that I, and then they started running the, the do you want to come with me trailers and stuff was it I thought bloody hell it really is coming back because it was just like mm. I'd heard so many times and but it was just like okay I'll give it a whirl so I was interested in I was interested in watching it and I remember I was down with visiting my parents because it was the Easter weekend and um, it was quite a novelty to say shall we watch Doctor Who then (laughs) (laughs) kind of bracing yourself for thinking okay is this going to be any good or not and coming to the conclusion that you didn't know whether it was any good or not but it was well no the main main thing I, I came away with was well that was that was much more like Doctor Who than I expected it to be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's here's my mention of, of Big Finish that isn't a, a joke or a dig. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess that I I had got back into Doctor Who through Big Finish, um, through th- through um, listening to the to the stories over the you know the early years of the of this century. Of the wilderness and, and years. So yes. when mm. when the um, when the announcement was made that it was coming back, I was I was quite enthusiastic. Oh, oh! How very sincere of you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would have, I, mean, I would have liked it even better, I guess, if it if it had come back with um, with McGann, who who I felt had um, had earned his stripes through the Big Finish range. But you know, uh, you know what, uh, I I thought that at the time, just as a fan, as in a, I wouldn't it be wouldn't it be neater if they brought it back with McGann? What a missed opportunity! Now, all these years later, I think. Oh my God! Wouldn't it have been better if they brought it back with them again? But um, that's because I'm a miserable, miserable bugger. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, so, well, I mean, my was thinking was that. I mean, it wasn't that I was wanted McGann to come back from a completist point of view. Just that I thought he was so excellent mm. on the 
on the big finish mm. range that I, I couldn't imagine anyone being any better than that. And, and I mean, Eccleston didn't really disabuse that view. I can only assume that the, I'm sure Russell would have known how good he was and could have been again. So I can only assume the reason that they didn't is because you don't get the right sort of publicity. You get, yeah. this is the return of Doctor Who. This is the return of a sequel to that thing that didn't quite work yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. It, I mean, whether it be a, the lingering association with something that's slightly failed or just because you can't say, get lots of newspaper headlines with, <laughs> it's, it's him again, rather than, mm. I bet you didn't expect him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. But there you go. But when he only hung around for a year, it does make you wonder whether whether it was worth it. Mm. A year of so face pulling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I probably wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been as negative if I hadn't watched it this <laughs> this afternoon. And the trauma of his that one scene where he's walking through the housing estate, that long tracking shot. Yeah. Where um, I don't know if they filmed it very early on or something, but his grinning mm. just makes me want to <laughs> plant my fist through the screen what, the, oh, um, oh, um, the one where Rose, Rose is chasing after him and he's yeah I mean it's a the build up very to the good scene. Of the earth. it's very well written and it ends superbly mm. with, that, with that the end of that scene him doing the I can mm. feel it mm. with spinning and so on is uh, yeah I mean it demonstrates precisely why you might think He'd be the perfect actor for this role. Mm. Mm. There's a guy, when he goes, yeah, you see, when he goes Shakespearean, mm. but when he's, yeah, when he's less convinced than Sylvester McCoy is, it, I couldn't help. This bloke's a bit wacky, isn't he? <laughs> I couldn't help but be reminded of, um, of, strangely enough, of Lee Mack was what was <laughs> what I was getting. Yeah, I was picking up yeah. from the from the more comedy parts of the performance, but. Um, yeah, I was going to say Brian Cox, that kind of slightly grinny face, but I think Lee Mack is probably mm. better, actually. It's, it, 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 although Lee Mack will probably have done a better job. Mm. <laughs> really? Well, everyone's we're, we're down on, what's going on? Everyone's really? down, down, down the middle. I'm going to stand up for him. It's, I think, you know, I think um, it's a pretty tricky thing to do, and yes, he's got a very tricky script to navigate. It's completely unlike anything he's done before. He's kind of doing it on trust from Russell T. You know, and, and uh, yeah, as you say, Paul, is probably thinking, okay, what the hell have I got myself into? But I think the... F- and and it's probably not getting a great steer from Keith Burke, um, so far as one can... That veteran TV director. Well, he's, he mm. had a... What a, sa- what a safe pair of hands. Well, he had a heck of a... He's got a heck of a CV, hasn't he? Has he? He's, I, I was just... Who did he steal it from? So? <laughs> well, yeah, but it was... I was looking no, at seriously, some... what, what? Before well, he, he just he just had a big hit with that New York London he, thing. He'd that done was a ni- sort of nylon romantic comedy thing. He'd, he'd done nylon yeah. directly before. He'd done he'd done Holby City. He'd done Mersey Beat. He'd done the Royal. He'd done Harbour Lights. He'd done. Well, I'm, I take it's all down. back then. He was clearly ideally qualified to produce well, yeah. a, a flagship family science fiction adventure program. Well, but the problem, yeah, the problem is who was, you know, and I. Yes, yeah. exactly. I've got to be careful with this because I didn't mean to launch straight in mm. and start kicking it. But I think it's all <laughs> a great episode of a wonderful relaunch. Almost everything was carefully thought through and pitched exactly how it should have been. Mm. It's just that when I watch it again, the tiny little things that don't quite come off mm. 
Um, I don't know why I find him so unaccountably irritating. I find his... Yeah, he got it there on screen, and nobody else knew quite how to do it. And yes, it's ju just the action stuff that mm. doesn't really work. But it's not just action, it's suspense. It's anything that's remotely out of the ordinary mm. run-of-the-mill run idea of a BBC drama. Yeah. All the human, st all the human stuff is great. Uh, but and mm. I'm not having a go at him just because he didn't know how to direct action shots of rampaging plastic men through London, but even the suspense at the beginning, where the Autons are coming alive, mm -hmm. is, to me, doesn't quite work. This, yeah, true. This story gets away with well, it, that, because that nobody's seen anything like it, so it, it's pitched in well enough that the people who have never seen anything like this on television before are going to be suitably intrigued, and mm. they'll come back next week, and I guess that's all it needed mm. to do. Yeah. It didn't need to be a pitch-perfect classic episode of the series for people like us who are going to obsess over it. Well, the thing is, and it's yet, a, you know, know, it's it's just slightly clumsy around the edges. It's you know, where it, it could have been great. It's a brilliant script, and, and the thing is, that there are places where it does flash through. And the thing is, you were just talking about that that's um, that walk through the walk through the estate scene, and the, all the gurning, and I'm a bit Hello. I'm a bit crazy, me. Hello, yeah, all of that. And uh, but you know, but then I thought, hang on, there's the thing that makes me think. Okay, hang on, there's method in the madness. It is what they intend. It's just the moment that that changes. Is basically the moment the TARDIS comes in shot at the back of, and the first time you see the TARDIS mm. is the moment he switches, and suddenly yeah. you're serious. And I just thought mm. that's too, you know, that's that's too well done to be. Coincidental. Suddenly, you see that blue oh, box God, yes. in I'm the background. Was, I'm not saying it was an accident. The switch was an accident. I just don't mm. think throughout here and throughout the series, his wackiness mm. is just doesn't quite, work for quite... you as well as no. Sorry. Mm. Anyway, I won't mention it again. No, no, no. It's a... No, I won't. No. <laughs> well, it <laughs> is completely it's, it's out of his comfort zone as a as an actor because he's you know yeah. well known for his intensity. Let's face it, but. Yeah, so so whereas with with um, with Pertwee, the whole point of it is he can't leave, and so he's sort of stuck. It's interesting in this one that that within seventeen minutes he's left twice already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he keep he keeps kind of buggering off all the way through mm. it. This is true. So, if you're one of these new viewers who's n not grown up the program and has no idea what it's what they're watching, that's not going to mean anything in particular to you. The fact that he goes and comes back again mm. but to us they're possibly even more so with hindsight knowing where he's come from mm. Mm. what he's been up to immediately before this is a sign with with retrospect that he's becoming grounded again he's finding something to come back to rather than constantly moving on trying to escape from mm. something mm. Mm. some sort of focus and hint of normality is coming back into his his world well, Maybe that's we why after, yeah. hmm. after this long flight, it's the first time he looks in the mirror. So perhaps that's symbolic of the fact that he's finally stopped hmm. just hurtling away from. I'm not making a big point of that, but the continuity thing with the mirror. But it is. Hmm. I know it's. Russell has hasn't he said that he did, did intend it to be the f him commenting on his face. Yeah. It's the first time he's seen it, yeah. And yeah. which even within the episode is slightly confused. By yeah. the fact that he's apparently been on the, you know, had a half a dozen other adventures mm. throughout history. Yeah, 
But it's interesting that uh, there's a lot of economy of storytelling in it. I mean, the, the mirror scene lasts less than five seconds mm. compared with the, the <laughs> Pertwee one in, in in Spearhead, which goes on and on mm. and on. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's good that we didn't. Mm. They didn't force Eccleston to run through several minutes worth of business in front of a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I, think my, I think my sanity got a coat. Yeah. It's, Can I just say one more time? Mm. Before, I, I've got something to add to to my carping about his wackiness. In case it's not clear, I don't think he's just saying he unwacky me for no good reason. I understand that this is a very carefully thought through characterization. He's probably added a layer to what's in the script. Mm. That this man mm. is smiling to hide the tears. He's is a mm. mask. Mm. It's a facade he's putting on because deep down he's a figure of great tragedy mm. and ter- and in a turmoil. I I do know that. It's just the mm. way he's he grins. Mm. Mm. Uh, sets my teeth on edge. That's all. That's all. <laughs> mm. It's fascinating that this is only fourteen years ago, and yet it's you know it's it's a world that's changed immeasurably. I mean, it's a world before smartphones. Mm. It's um, well yeah, before it, the internet, it, really. CRT. Mickey's yeah. got a CRT monitor. Mm. It's a world. Be- it's, it's, it's a world before it's, Google. Yeah, you know that. It's the early internet, isn't yeah. it? It's it, it's definitely not. The, the same internet we have now. Those, those emailing to Clive, get in touch with yeah. him. There's no, there's no tweeting. No. Whatever. No. No. Yeah. F- no Facebook so, Messenger. Mm. It's a world before convincing use of Photoshop. Judging <laughs> by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they they aren't very much like Chris Eccleston, are they? Any of those? Mm. No. No. Uh, I, I mean, the other thing that struck me was was, and I mean, I, I know, I know, I said it last week, and it's the same thing, but or, or the last time we got together, but it, it's it's a great theme and title sequence. I mean, it, you boom, mm. you go, you mm. go into into that, and you think, wow, it it, it um, as a as a realization of of a similar kind of tunnel thing to the late Pertwee, early mm. Baker one. Uh, it it's fantastic, and and then when you think about what they came up with. Mm. You know, five or ten years later, uh, you know, none of those sequences were, were as good. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? Considering how people were, well, you know, a lot of us liked it right from the beginning, but a lot, but some people were complaining that it wasn't faithful enough to the to the old days. But yeah, with hindsight, every tweak and every bit of fiddling they did to it over the next ten years just made just diluted the impact. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, first yeah. first shock that I had when just when when I was watching it for this. Um, and I haven't watched it for many years, actually. Um, no cold open. It was, you know, mm. straight into the uh, straight into the theme theme song, theme music, yes. which uh, rather mm. like season eleven. And that's um, that um, <clears throat> that was a shocker. And memory cheats, yeah, because you're so used to the idea that there was always a always a tease, yeah. And um, and the other thing that I thought only a very minor point, but again, interestingly. Can't, I don't. I refuse to believe it's coincidence. The opening shots of both, the framing of them, uh, we've got you know both both of them go you know have establishing shots of the earth, uh, yeah, and yeah. the and the way although in in Rose it's the the moon is in exactly the same place as the earth is in, uh, in Spearhead, and then mm. we pan over to the moon and to the earth and do the, do the crash zoom down mm. onto London. You know, surely no coincidence. That they both they both open with the same same mm. shot, really. 
feels that way. Yeah. One one thing that you know we we touched on earlier is the uh, fake Mickey, and watching it, it just seems seems to me that um, you know Rose does not actually notice that he looks so mm. fake, and yeah. I thought this is either because she's either we're meant to think that she's either a not very observant or more likely b she's not really into him that much, um, and yeah. that she sort of doesn't really notice because when he's sitting there going pizza 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 it's kind of um yeah it's obvious when she gets into the car that he's a bit mm. odd um and she mm. doesn't notice even when they're in the restaurant when he's grilling her about the doctor um where he looks slightly less fake than he does in the car it must be said that mm. even then she yeah. doesn't notice she's sort of looking at him thinking there's something different about you but i don't know what it is type thing mm. and i think that this sort of is played out a little bit later um, in the story when he basically turns out to be a bit of a coward and doesn't really do much to help. That she thinks that yeah, there's this underlying thing that she may not really be into him that much. Um, I think mm. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's not clear, is it? No, because she's um, she's quite hurt when the doctor when she thinks he's dead. Yes, and when the doctor just dismisses that fact. Out yes. of hand, mm. which so it's not entirely clear, and it's not clear whether those moments when he is so completely ludicrously <laughs> over the top yes. as the fake Mickey, it's not clear mm. if that's in the writing or just a slight miscommunication with the director yeah. on what the tone should be. Should it did, was Russell imagining something slightly more sinister, and the director just had to, went for hamming it up, or <laughs> did Russell? deliberately put in more over-the-top humour in this first episode to try and make an impact so there's something for everybody before knowing that he was going to tone that sort of thing down it's maybe well, something if he's, got, if, if he's got farting aliens in yeah three, three or four episodes time then then, then the burping really been is kind of not yeah there, well it? that's um but the risk of lots of fans hate that taking your point mm-hmm. too seriously the the there's a slight difference there but there's some internal logic to the farting aliens mm-hmm. whereas there's what the big problem with the Auton Mickey looking so ludicrously unreal is that it's, the internal logic is lacking. Rose is supposed mm. to be a, a real human being who would react the same way we did. Mm. It's, it's implausible that she would. Well, Eccleston. It, it, yeah, just take, it, it takes it, you it, out it, of it's slight, doesn't except it? The, mm. so except it's, the soldiers. The soldiers look at General Scobie, who's shining like a beacon, <laughs> and they seem to think that he's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> mm. They just think he's probably well, put on a bit I'm, of foundation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether this is, is an urban myth that the, but I'm pretty sure I've heard it well attested that the burping is the burping of the bin was added. Yes. By by yep. Boke and wasn't a wasn't in the script. And I can't remember. Wasn't it somebody just like somebody, some random person in the production team just thought was, some, was watching that moment and said, "Wouldn't it be great if it burps?" Mm. And and he went, "Yeah," and it just ended up in the show through some mm. random series of circumstances i think that's right yeah um, and nobody would have realized quite how much it would irritate <laughs> yeah but, but rtd certain... would have known anyway mm, true. yes he would but he wouldn't have cared <laughs> yeah. because he, he wasn't after us he had mm, us yes yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm tempted to be charitable towards Noel clark and assume it is a it's a i don't i don't know i don't think it's the problem is the only the only versions of the script we ever get released into the, that ever gets released into the wild are, are sanitised, you know, like basically transcripts of what what was broadcast, aren't they? They're not. Mm. 
we don't get to yeah. see the drafts. The thing exactly is how the, Russell Rose is. The thing is, he's much more sinister he's, in the restaurant than he is in the car. Mm, in the car, he's sort of yes. like... Maybe he's, yeah, maybe he's meant to be mm. kicking in, but he's much more sinister in the restaurant. Mm. He's still obviously yeah. not mm. him. I but mean, yeah. all, all these things are mm. shot out of out of sequence, mm. and there can often be you know gaps of days or weeks between yeah. between scenes. But that's more of a problem here because it's a brand new program here and in the other Aliens of London World mm. War Three because mm. they really haven't set the tone, so things are changing, mm. and there's not always time to go back and correct and in inverted commas things that you might later. Go in a different direction. With. Mm. I think no. I mean, he's. I think he's on record that he's quite embarrassed about some of the acting he did in this one. But he's not. I wouldn't blame him himself. It's he's really going for it in every scene. It's mm. just that he's going for something slightly different in every yes. scene, yeah. and that's not his mm. fault. He's probably getting all sorts of different cues from the script mm. and the director, and mm. goodness knows where. But it's a very spirited performance. Yes, even mm. when he's not being remotely realistic, he's. Mm. But I thought he was meant to be unrealistic in that car scene. And she just doesn't notice. Um, that's, it's, that's what, it's possible. That's, yeah. it's, that's it's hard was, to say. Well, was, mm. That's what set me off on this mm. train of thought because that's a clever mm. thought, and that may be the sort of thing that Russell might have been had in mind. Mm. But the fact that we're unsure, I think, is mm. means it didn't entirely work. One other thing about that whole sequence is the um, is although it's ages since I watched Terminator Two T one thousand being referenced with the robot Mickey, isn't he? Oh, with the with the um, arms, yeah, with, so. the, with yeah, the big yeah. smashing arms. Matching arms, yeah. I'm pretty, that's a nice moment. That's mm. and I'm pretty sure there's a bit where um, where where Robert Patrick gets something in his head, gets something <laughs> yes. in his head that then then gets morphed yeah. and pops out in some yeah unexpected way. And um, so again, that's interesting because nice that's a nice moment. It does it does look suitably macabre when when mm. the headless monster is rampaging. That's actually. Mm. Yes. The right sort of cross between sinister and, yeah. and ridiculous. Mm. Oh, when he's got like the when he's got the head as well, and he goes, "Don't think that will mm. stop me, do you?" Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that's mm. kind of unique in yeah. the history of Autumn stories. We've never seen. Uh, they've not done a lot with semi-human forms, have they? No. Or True. Unnervingly yeah. mutated human forms. There's, I think there's still yeah. more scope for that. Mm. It's funny that how you get a different view of things i mean i guess i was unused to the pacing of the 45 minute story because i remember when i watched this the first time i thought the denouement happens very quickly yes and it's over with and yet what re-watching it now it seems like it takes forever <laughs> um, for, for, you know i mean basically you've got them all lined up after about mm. half an hour with the anti-plastic and then it seems to take another 10 minutes for him actually to chuck it in there i remember this this being an issue with both this and end of the world feeling like they were they were running to it was going going along at a heck of a pace and then they had to then everything just ground to a halt for some iconic moment the bit with the bit where um the doctor has to step between the fan blades in and in, in oh, end yes. of the world mm. has very much the same thing where suddenly after going along at this frenetic pace for so long then it just grinds to a grinds to a halt as you say and it's very odd that that whole thing is very poorly staged. I think the you know the actual the mounting of that that particular action sequence at the end of Rose, because it's it's just mm. odd. She has to run off to somewhere else, and you know, and and she's only apparently standing like five feet behind him. Yeah, it's just like hang on, where's and it does it does seem to take forever with him just standing there, str- struggling a little, struggling the... a little. Do you mean the action scene or or the fact that? What's been inserted into this climax, which wouldn't not 
normally have been there is a load of backstory hints towards the time war mm. which that, that that takes up a bit of time yeah doesn't it mm. but then you you can't pare it I know do know exactly what you mean but I'm just wondering how much more you can pare it down because the doctor can't literally just walk in I come face face with the villain for the for the face face with the, with the villain for the first time <laughs> and dispatch him immediately that never happens and dramatically that would be no no it's it's just the it's it's just really for me it's just the um just the bit where where you know it's just all the business with Rose and Mickey apparently carrying in terror for for what feels yes. like what feels it's, like it's, forever it's, and then like... and then she runs off and gives a little speech while grabbing a rope from. There's a lot of intercutting as well with yeah. all the stuff in the shopping centre, and it, it, it just feels like it, it, it's extended. Mm. They're doing their best. They 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 understand that the best way to create tension is to, is some is with that sort of intercutting, but it's done in the sort of way that just makes you roll your eyes with mm. the cutting back to the three autons that are. We've got that old the bridal ones yeah. trope trope of the monsters that kill you very very slowly. Mm. Yes, <laughs> if if you're an important character, if you're a yeah, minor yeah. character, you can yeah, you're gone like, in sixty fly. seconds. Mm. They come straight yeah. up and you're gone. But no, yeah, we cut the, back yeah. to these three autons one by one. They open their gun mm. hands, yes. cut back again. It's uh, but well, look, well, it, it's a bit like with with uh, with ransom in in the earlier story. I mean, basically the the auton. You know, unclips its hand, it's, and then it's about as good a shot as as the robots from uh, a series of <laughs> you know, mock mocking. I mean, it, it, it has a couple of goes yes. and misses him, and then gives up. Mm. There's one thing I want to talk about with the ending that I will defend, um, on, and it's a, <laughs> it's linked to the general point that it is a very nicely structured story. I remember some uh, fan observers, commentators, complaining about the anti-plastic. And how stupid apparently this is as a integral point in the denouement. <laughs> how unscientific, how juvenile, oh. how how convenient, how I mean, well, I'm not entirely sure what their argument was because of course they didn't have one, and I'm mm. I'm not quite sure what they were complain complaining about, but it seemed to me to betray a sort of un- fundamental under- misunderstanding of the point of Doctor Who and oh, absolutely. and to me and to me prove that Russell entirely understood the way you could improve it for the new century both in terms of speeding it up and also cutting away stuff that's the dead wood mm. the point of Doctor Who is never and should never be about the specifics of precisely what scientific method the Doctor uses to defeat his adversaries because it's not mm. science fiction with the emphasis on the science no, no. These people seem to be coming, believing that for the previous 26 years, it was all written by Chris Rage Bidmed, and that every story <laughs> ended with the Doctor making excellent use of tachyonics or or entropy or um, whatever else. What's that thing Niss is obsessed with? Fans. Fans. But I, I mean, I thought... Petty goats? Anti-plastic. <laughs> Stop. I thought anti-plastic <laughs> was just setting out the stall of the news series very succinctly. Mm. The point yeah. of the ending of this story... Well, okay. I mean, we all it's a truism to say that what a lot of Russell's endings are about character. Mm. They're about how characters contrive to, to bring the story to a close and what, what it says about them, not what mm. it says about the Doctor's gizmos. Antiplastic is the new reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. It's just the Doctor knows how to defeat the Autons and the Nistings. It's A, whether he's going to do it, Mm. So he's got to have his chat with the villain, and then, and then B, it's about oh no, the doctor's in, the doctor can't do it. Um, what's going to happen now? 
Rose rises to the challenge, rise of the moment. Okay, she does that through an extremely unconvincing little self-motivational speech, mm. which is my least favourite line of dialogue from this story, the first series, mm. the whole of New Who. <laughs> Didn't like that moment. But the point is, it's a character moment. That's the, that's the point. Ignore her speech. Ignore anti-plastic. Mm. It's, sh- it's her coming to the rescue. It's, it's the point of the end of this story. Yes. Why you mm. would not be able to see that, I don't know. But, you know, those sorts of people are still with us. Well, indeed, I and mean, if I, I made a note on Spearhead, which um, which I I then decided to I, I decided to pass over because it was far too petty. But since you've brought it up here, it's um, it's an apposite point to make now. Um, in episode two, there's a bit where um, where they're talking about the plastic, and this has been analysing it, and she um proudly proclaims mm. that the plastic has no polymer chains in it, and um, it's just like. Um, if we're going to put on our science hats, then um, the entire idea of, yep. of plastic without yep. any polymer chains in it is just as ridiculous as anti-plastic. Um, so, so, in case in case I didn't make that clear, the point I was trying to make was that you don't even need to invent symbolic science. Mm. I mean, that that lesson has not been applied uniformly throughout New Who. Mm. Some there's been a lot of just as much bollock science. Mm. Possibly mm. in the second, you know, <laughs> more recently mm. after yes. Russell's yeah. era. But um, yeah, I wish I'd stuck with anti-plastic. I wish every story was resolved with anti, <laughs> whatever. It's the same for the same reason that people who complain that the sonic screwdriver is a bad thing because it means the Doctor can get out of a locked room. Mm. I'm sure I've said this before. If you think the point of Doctor Who <laughs> is to see is to lock the Doctor up and see which and having use a new method every week to get out of his locked room. <laughs> Then bugger off and watch something else. Yeah. Let me. Oh dear! It's not the crystal maze. Watch. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a MacGuffin. It's not mm. even a, muff- a MacGuffin. Pretend I didn't say it was a MacGuffin because mm. it only shows up at the end and then it's used immediately. So. Mm. So I think I think we should probably aim to to wind this up now. Mm. So if there's are there, are there any f- remaining things anyone wanted to say about Rose that you haven't had a chance to get off your chest? Just briefly it's... like to say how refreshing I found uh, watching Billy as Rose herself in this. It was quite a um, quite a revelation to be reminded of how. So if I say young and fresh, that sounds slightly pervy, but um, <laughs> but mm. no, just just how you know how bright, let's say bright-eyed and bushy-tailed um, she mm-hmm. she was at the start, you know, in the in the in the first series, I think, and and how yes. how much we all enjoyed. I think well, I I certainly enjoyed her performance and and felt she you know brought a lot to it and was um was, was a great yeah. you know and added added so much to it and and having got slightly jaded with the character as she as she later returned and it's it's a nice reminder I was of wondering why we loved her having watched this just today and not having seen it for a long time but I did one I thought her performance was ever so slightly different to how I remembered it and I just wonder if anybody else thinks that perhaps it evolved maybe I don't know either steadily or even quite rapidly in the early parts of of series 1 did anyone I think, I think even, the, even the voice from, from is slightly the second yeah. series yeah. yeah do you think it I mean, I mean, it, I mean it's definitely completely different to when she came back in in yeah. series 4 but she said that didn't she she, she, she admitted she couldn't remember but but I think it is I think it is a little bit different mm. from how it was in the second series. There's okay. There's one thing I'd like to mention. Um, the Doctor's introduction to the story. He's tracked down the Nestine's whatever it is control device mm. 
and he blows it up. He doesn't deactivate it, which is what we would expect him to do, either in most stories before or since. Mm-hmm. Mm. He doesn't, and even to having decided to use brute force, he doesn't hit it with a hammer or use a small bomb. He's a bomb that's big enough to destroy an entire department store and bring 15 mm. fire crews in. <laughs> He's, it's, it, with f- in context, of the rest of the series, it seems out of character. And also, if it's your first experience with this Doctor, which it would have been for a lot of the intended audience, mm. does he look like a terrorist or a madman? I mean, I know he's supposed to seem a bit dangerous, and maybe that's why Russell chose to do it that way, but any thoughts? Mm. Is it just because it looks more visual? It seems slightly careless to me, because it could put some people off and could send you off on a slightly different different part of what who this man is. Interesting, and we're possibly grateful that, it, that they broadcast this before 7-7 happens. Um, mm. And that the whole series was out of the way before that, um, which obviously would have yeah. Can you imagine if that has been that would have put a whole um, damper on things? I th- I think in retrospect, the idea that he is rather more gung ho and reckless, and he says, "Oh, I might die," and the idea that he doesn't really mm. care is actually mm. it does work very well in retrospect for this for the post time war. Yes, Doctor, who is who is yeah. more more used to taking extreme measures. I suppose the Doctor does blow a lot of things up, and I suppose maybe I'm being parochial here because when he blows up similar bases, buildings, control centers, spaceships, things on other planets, I'd, all I I just think, oh look, pretty explosion. Mm. It's, and maybe I'm just being parochial and think, what a, a nice old building. Did he really need to burn that? But he down? doesn't. Yes. So maybe, may, I don't know. I don't know whether there's anything in that point or not. I'll go back to sleep. Just a small skirmish compared with the Time War, mm. I suppose. Yeah. My personal opinion is that this is the uh, best new Doctor story since Spearhead, because mm. um, I'm not overly keen on some of the other ones. Uh, as you know, <laughs> I don't like Robot. I, I'm not particularly. I know keen, you don't like Robot. I'm not keen on Castrovalva, and I certainly don't like Twin Dilemma um, or. Um, what is it? Time and the Rani. So, and Blimey. well, when you put it like that, <laughs> yeah, well, see, this is this is why of, it is a lot of competition. Isn't there? <laughs> There's none. So, is this a classic damning with fame? Praise? Sort of. <laughs> no, I, look, I think uh, I was at the time. I was so happy to have it back that I would have accepted anything really. Um, and it's a little bit better than what we've had before. So it was it was good. Have we done enough comparison between these two stories? Have we done any? We've just done the odd bit here and there. No, as we're I, th- going I think doing a bit of a... I, th- I think wrapping up with a bit of a... We don't necessarily have to say which was our favourite, but I think... Oh, no. But I think it, I think it would be nice to just do a bit of bit of a little review of what do we feel we've gained by watching... Has it okay. changed our perspectives on on them and so on? I mean, look, look at it this way. The most obvious link, which is why we're here, between these two stories, is that they, is that they are both autumn stories. Mm. Is it the fact that they're both first stories for Doctor and also Auton stories, which makes it... Yes, yes. Because yes. either of those in yeah. itself would be a link. Now, look, that's novel in itself because they were a brand new invention in, uh, in 1970 mm. and they were kind of a statement of intent of what the programme could do or what Robert Holmes could do for the programme. Mm. He could bring it down to the earth, make the, fami- the familiar unfamiliar and, and scary. In 2005, they're kind of that for the new viewers and also something reassuring for the for the old fans so they serve a dual purpose mm. Mm. I suppose fundamentally though 
Russell wouldn't have been worrying about us, and they are there to do the same thing they did in 1970, to make you sit up and take notice. That's why the aliens come in the second week. Mm. Do, you think yeah. do you think they have any hope of having the same impact, the Autons, in 2005 as they did in 1970? Because I think they're slightly underused even within the story. It's a bit half-hearted. Even though we actually see them crashing through plate glass windows here, mm. and so in some senses the final battle should be more impressive, somehow it seemed like a good idea on paper. It, it doesn't feel like it is happening all over the world, does it? It feels like it's happening in a shopping centre. In Cardiff. Mm. I mean, sorry, London. Ob mm. Not Cardiff, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's the perennial problem they have with, you know, with sort of staging stuff on even, you know, on the BBC budget and trying to trying to make it look global. You probably don't need that cutaway. But I don't know, I mean, in Rose, the Orsons are very much just there as a you know we don't we don't really get all that much of them when yeah you know, they're not they're not exactly well developed and obviously they're, no not, they're not a they're not there's no Channing exactly there's mm. no yeah you know, there's no real we don't find out all that much about their motivation they're just there to be a big bad and introduce us yeah. to the and introduce us to the Doctor and his and his world there's no mind but, control so I think, either no and I, I think I think given the pacing. You can't do and again spearheads. You know it's it's very very cleverly paced because you kind of get the the um, the plastic connection in episode two. You know the you know the meteorites in episode one, the plastic connection in episode two. Mm. Uh, I can't quite remember when the dummies when when the autumn dummies come in towards the end of episode two and into into three, I think, and then the sort of rep, replicates ones in. Going into episode four, and um, and you gradually see this scaling up of their yeah. capabilities, I mm. guess. Mm. And so when you then get the shop window dummies bursting out, you've had that that seeded that they are, you know, that they can they can control anything. Whereas in this, they rather mm. throw away the the big crap. The dummies are alive. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, it because is. it's the first thing you <laughs> it's the first thing you see. To be honest, it does just use the more it uses the autons to, as a succession of striking visual moments yes, yeah, that don't that's... entirely hang together. And the the bin thing is an example of that, because though that's played entirely for laughs, that could have been a, a branch of the story heading off into some much scarier territory. If they can take hold of mm. any plastic, mm. like your mm. wheelie bin, yeah. then who knows where they're going to strike from. But then we're back to just shop window dummies again. Yeah, interestingly, so. the, the wheelie bin, I, no I noticed the very first, the first shot as the Doctor is seeing... Rose off the premises and she's running away from the department store. There's a um, there's a brief pickup on a wheelie bin by the back door that she that she comes out of, and I thought that's there deliberately. This is like a seeding, seeding the idea of wheelie bins for later. But yeah. you know, at the end of the day, he's just used what he needed of the autons to create. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think to you wake can... the to wake the audience up and, and discard the rest. I don't think you can criticise it as being a poor autons story because that's not what it's. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's not there to serve the autons; it's there to serve serve the Doctor and Rose. That story definitely. Mm. So the other link between the two is how does it serve at introducing the character of the Doctor and indeed the idea of Doctor Who to, or this version of Doctor Who to a new audience. Well, again, you know, it it, it introduces um, those tropes again. 
You know, there's the, there's the stiff stuff about Time War. The Shadow Proclamation gets its first mention. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That sow the seeds for further on in the series uh, in a similar way that Spearhead sort of introduces certain Doctor characteristics as well. Um, in here, it's the sort of recklessness of the Doctor. And because of that sort of, you know, not really caring because of what's happened with the Time War and also his regret about what's happened when he's talking to the Nestine about what happened to their planet and stuff like that. And that sort of runs through as well. So it does introduce. So they both have very sort of strong parallels in that they introduce certain things that will be carried forward throughout the series. Yeah, in, ter- in terms of the companion, in um, Rose, she's kind of the archetypal yes. companion. We, we, we watch it through her point of view and she's ex- her horizons are broadened immeasurably. Mm. She's introduced this man who is... If you hang around with him, things will be dangerous. There will be death, but life will never be dull again. Mm-hmm. And that's really the story of most, all new series companions and quite a few of the yes. old series. And Liz, on the other hand, is the most atypical element of Spearhead because she, while that's sort of true for her, it's never going to be quite the same because she's an assistant. <laughs> as they used to say in fandom, she's an assistant, not a companion. Mm. She's never giddy with excitement to this new world. She's extremely sceptical. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sets up the tension within that, that character and it's her relationship with Unit and the Doctor and the series in general, which carries on throughout her stories and is never really resolved. And the big brigadier in particular, yeah. As for the character of the Doctor, the one one thing that Spearhead sets up, which again is kind of unique to, to the third Doctor, is that he is not happy about being there. Mm. He's not going to mm. be taking people off on exciting new adventures. It's... N- He's not saying, come with me. He's saying, oh, bloody hell. Have I got to s- <laughs> am, I stu- am I stuck with you? Mm. Which is, mm. is, is not, a th- thankfully, a theme throughout the entire story. It's just there. It's just mm. set up as much as it needs to be. Yeah. Although, funnily enough, it, it, it la- later on in the Third Doctor's era, when he could get away, he seems to be have, have got been attached to them. Yeah. No, well, it's a nice arc, even though it wasn't, Presumably it wasn't planned in advance. It is nice that by the time he finally is able to leave, after wishing for nothing else through most mm. of that time, now he realises he's got something to stay for. It's, it's quite nice. Mm. Yeah. Couldn't have been done better. It couldn't have been done better if it was planned. Yeah, he hasn't shouted at all of the civil servants. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he's, he's still got membership of his club. Mm. That's true. There's always that to come mm. back to. <laughs> it's his favourite high backed armchair mm. and. Yeah. That, he's, that he misses, oh, not uh, the Brigadier. Oh, 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 and the, uh, the cheese and wine as well. Of glass of cognac. <laughs> well, they're the same, and yet they're completely mm, different. Yes, yeah. we've nailed that. Mm. <laughs> they're both great, and they're both and they're both awful. <laughs> as as say, usual, we've. <laughs> I found um, I found going back and watching Spearhead um, for this a lot more rewarding than I than I found watching Rose. I kind of felt. Whether that's just because Rose is more recent, but I feel like Rose is less open to a bit more deeper analysis, or whether I just only watched Spearhead more superficially in the past. Well, but so I, I found that the more, more certainly in terms I of mean, the volume of notes and things I took on it, I found that there was a lot more. I thought, oh, that's interesting, and that's cute. Too, that's yeah. a little, nice little yeah. spot. Doctor Who's never been made for repeated viewing, has it? And we were told constantly that people in the 60s and 70s were just trying to get anything out mm. there. On, on air and you might think that that the producers now are t- 
taking more account of the fact that people like us are going to carry on watching it on reruns and on mm. DVD, but I don't picking, know if they can ever, really, can ever really think like that while you're trying to create something. And yet, even with all that in mind, Rose is a bit disposable, and it's just yes. moments mm. that I, I appreciate most. There's some really brilliant moments in it, but as a mm. whole, it just does its job, yes. but um, mm. it's a herald of better things to come. It's there to ensure that people yeah. stay watching until the good stuff arrives for me. Now, that obviously isn't what Russell was intending to do, but but that's what it is. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I remember it being very lightweight. So actually, viewing it again for this, um, it kind of seemed a bit better than I remembered it. But but I still can't see myself going back uh, again and again. It, whereas I, I think Spearhead does have, um, it does bear up to repeated viewings. Sure does. Which is just as well, really, considering how many times yeah. it's been mm. <laughs> released. <laughs> it's shown in Australia, yeah. I, I'd actually made think... half a page of notes before I even watched it, by the way, of little things that I remembered from it, and then just sort of worked out where that sort of fitted in the whole story. So, repeated viewing, you know. You do remember. I do remember things, whereas Rose, I didn't remember much at all. I have to say, I think even within the oeuvre of Russell T. Davis himself, it's a, obviously a very minor work. Mm. So I don't think mm. we should be feel guilty no. about looking at viewing it that way. If you assume that, you know, even if you don't think, if you're one of those people who doesn't don't think he's a great science fiction writer, which I believe there are, or Doctor Who writer, which I believe there are people who have that opinion, mm. they normally can. Uh, agree that he's good at characterization and good at dialogue yeah. and even here i think the characterization is a bit thin he sets up the he sketches the outline of rose and the doctor but mickey is an absolute mess mm. <laughs> of mm. a character at this point and he needn't be so i think even even there it only does as much as it needs to 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 grab your attention yeah yeah but there's jackie's some lovely quite broad jackie's great well. the, she gets some of the best lines but you know they're not <laughs> it's great stuff and it's there f so that again another tight segment of the audience can think oh she's fun I like her that's mm. good I'll carry on watching but whether it has anything to do with what's going on it's a you know it's a bit self-indulgent really because Russell enjoys writing that sort of stuff mm. okay so we've reached the end of our discussion uh, for episode two of Something Who um, so thanks all of you for joining thanks Giles thank you I enjoyed it yeah, thanks, Mike, for coming. Uh, well, for, for for spending your uh, bank holiday in Australia. <laughs> thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and, and Paul, thank you. Hey. Oh yeah. Cheers. That's fine. I was here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and please come back and uh, and join us again uh, in about a month's time when we do episode three. And thanks all of you for listening too. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Keep it real. <laughs> So if, uh, w the way we're going to start, Paul, is you're going to say the first line. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so novelty. So you, you've not laid the script out in the fashion I've become accustomed to. So. No. Okay, here we go. <clears throat>